If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. Welcome to another episode of Ant Security for All. My name's Kim Hakem, your host. I hope everyone is having an awesome day. We are actually having a beautiful fall day here in the Midwest. It's uh, crazy weather. I'm sure all of you guys know out there that um, in the Midwest, one day it's 80, then it's 40, then it's 80. So you never know if you're going to be hot or cold. But Today is a perfect day. Hope all of you that have little ones are ready for Halloween on Monday. I know in the Midwest, it looks like we're going to have a really beautiful day for all the little kids out there. And then right after Halloween, we're going to go straight into the holidays. It's been a super fast year. Um, I actually spent my last week, last week I was in Florida with my son and my little grandkids and um, their family. And uh, we were in Disney World. That was really hard work, harder than working one of my future con events. And for those of you that have been to my events, you know that you see us working hard. Disney, hands down, was way harder than that. So wasn't really much of a vacation, but um, it was great. I have to say, I haven't been to Disney since my kids were little, and there is a lot that has changed um, I hate to say it, but not the same Disney I remember. Seems like a lot of the magic from Disney is not there anymore, sadly to say. Um, new generation of kids that are running things out there, and it just didn't feel the same. But it's always good to take some time away from work and spend some time with your family and enjoy those memories and moments. So that was priceless. Um, next week at FutureCon, and for those of you that know, we put on cybersecurity conferences all over uh, North America. We are heading to Fun Nashville. Um, I'm very excited for that. We have a great, um, we have tons of attendees. This is actually one of the first attend first conferences that we're seeing such a packed conference. So it looks like people are starting to come back out. We have San Diego after that, Columbus, and Atlanta. And then we are done for 2022, and we have to ramp up for 2023. It has been definitely a um, exciting year coming out of COVID. We're seeing attendees um, slowly coming back out to our events, so that's exciting. We still keep everything in a hybrid mode, and we will continue to keep everything in a hybrid mode next year in 2023. So. For those of you, and, and I think nowadays it's not only about COVID. I think that's not the issue. I think in the cyber industry, there's so many people that have emergencies that happen on the day of our events. At least we give them an option to watch our events virtually. Or if they happen to be in a remote area and they can't make it, you know, a lot of people have moved away. They're not as close as they used to. They can still tune into our events. So if you happen to be um, in any of the areas that we're going to be coming to, please come and check us out. Come meet us in person. We'd love to have you um, as a guest at one of our events. 
Today, my guest on the show, he has um, participated in many of our events. He sat on several of our CISO panels when they were virtual. And then when we went back in person, he has been out to a few of our events. So very excited to have him as my guest today. I have Steve Winterfield. He is an advisory CISO for Acame Technologies. And today we're going to just talk about... um, the life as a CISO, because there's, um, I know Jonathan Kimmitz out there, he just joined the show. And hi, Jonathan, he's a CISO at the University of Tulsa. So I'm sure he'll have some input on today's discussion. But um, it's hard being a CISO. So excited to talk about, talk to Steve today and talk about um, several different areas of being a CISO. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thanks. Great being here. And I have to laugh because, you know, we're, uh, we're, during lockdown, I was like, oh, I can't wait to get back out. And then my first uh, trip out to one of your conferences in the airport, I was already on day one complaining about uh, travel again. So that's funny. Take long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It is definitely, it's, it's, you know, I could not wait to get back out to travel. And I think we did, I think we've done 23 shows maybe this year live and we have four more to go. And um, and I relentlessly, when we're not doing a show, have thrown a few trips in there. So I feel like I'm just on travel mode all the time. But um, it's good to be back out there. It's definitely nice to see people and, you know, in person and people are having fun. That's the thing is um, there's been a, a couple of it's interesting because you were in Chicago and some of the things that we've learned being out back on the road is things have changed. Like downtown Chicago is not the same downtown Chicago it was pre-COVID. You know, we didn't have the best turnout in Chicago as we would have had in the past. So next year we're going to have to go back out to the suburbs. So what's your thoughts on that? Um, are you from Chicago? No, I'm in Denver. Okay. Uh, we uh, we had our first snow yesterday here in Denver. So we're starting early this year. Uh, and for me, it is, it's very much kind of what you said is, Um, we've been, we've gotten used to not commuting. Uh, the remote work is so much easier. Uh, you know, you give me the option to coming to event or, or looking at it online. Um, sometimes I just don't want to want to drive down, but I will tell you, it's so worth coming to events to reconnect with people, build up your network. Uh, I think that's, what's so valuable about all these conferences. You know, I learned so much from my peers. Uh, it's nice to have relationships where you can call people and, and talk about solutions. So I, I agree that it's becoming a challenge. And the people that were downtown that just kind of walked over to the conference are not used to going down there anymore. Yeah, it's, it's definitely changed in several areas that, you know, Chicago used to be packed. Everyone was downtown. So we I've done events out in the suburbs and, you know, they've been packed too. So um, there's a handful of cities that, that we've had to, you know, everybody's moved out of the city and they've gone out to the suburbs and they don't want to drive. They don't want to deal with parking. They don't want to deal with traffic. You know, they, they want it easy. So, so definitely, you know, an interesting, it's, it's, we've learned a lot this past year. I feel like, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of, um, I, I could be an analyst for events from everything that I've learned in the past year, the good, bad, and the ugly. But um, it's getting really great now, though. I'm so we're starting to see registration pick up and people wanting to come back in person. 
But going back to you, now, when I first met you, we were in virtual and it wasn't Akame because did Akame, because who, who were you working for before? I believe Akame. So I was, um, I was with Charles Schwab and then moved over to Akamai after, uh, after I was at Charles Schwab. So it would have been really close to the transition timeline. Okay. And then like, tell us a little bit about your career and your career. How did you get to be a CISO and what now you're an advisory CISO for Acme. So like, let us know what that means and um, just kind of your career path. So, yeah, like many people, uh, I started off with, uh, you know, learning on my own. Uh, you know, back then there weren't a lot of formal certifications in education. So, uh, learned how to to protect computers and to uh, access computers uh, just kind of as a hobby. And then that turned into a passion and then eventually turned into a career. And and so my first kind of opportunity was to build out a computer emergency response center for the Army or what we would typically call a security operations center, a SOC. And so I did a lot of that incident response, crisis management, um, had a chance to to move out of, of that DOD support because that first one was for the U.S. Army. Transitioned to be the CISO for Nordstrom Bank and eventually ran a lot of their infrastructure. Went over to Charles Schwab, built out threat intelligence and incident response, and then had a chance to move to uh, one of the vendors I really respected, Akamai. And once we were there, um, you know, fill a role of advisory CISO where you know, I, I'm more customer facing. Uh, I'm trying to understand how we're doing and what we should be focused on solving next. So for those that are out there and, you know, at our events, we have a lot of, we have all kinds of people. We have, you know, the, the people that are just starting out as, you know, an engineer or a, a IT manager or a director and, and their ultimate goal is to be a CISO. I'm not saying all of their ultimate goals would be the CISO, but for that person, that's that's what they will want to. Um, that's where they want to go. What is your advice to them, and how did you get to the CISO role? So I kind of break it out in a couple of different ways. You know, if you're just thinking about entering the field, or if you're advising someone that's thinking about moving into cybersecurity, I really think you know we have people that like to build. We have people like to do analysis or investigations, and then we have people that like to organize the you know place, writing processes, making sure we're compliant. And so, you know, if you're on the build side, then you can become a cybersecurity engineer. Uh, you know, we see a lot of people moving out of networking into cybersecurity, do that on the engineer side. So they're building out, you know, uh, the web application firewall or they're building out, you know, DDoS protection or, or infrastructure for the security controls, as well as our developers. We have more and more people that are are writing code or DevSecOps and, and code as security uh, in applications or in serverless environments. The next area is, you know, if, if you like to solve puzzles, if you want to be an analyst, you might be in threat intelligence, you might work in a SOC, you might be a pen tester. These are all people that enjoy their time researching, trying to figure out what's going on. And then that last is, is where I find most of the people that don't have that technical passion 
and they'll help you make sure that you're PCI compliant or if you're in banking, FFIEC compliant and, and that you have an incident response process. And I like all those, but once you have that first job, then I want to talk a little bit about what you want to do as your, your final best job. If you want to end up being a CEO of your own cyber company, then I would say, you know, you need to know HR, you need to know finance, you need to know project management, you need to know marketing. So that's a broad set of skills. Um, you know, if you want to stay technical, then maybe you want to be a CTO for a cyber company. And again, these people are making very good money. So it's not about how much money you make. It's about where your passion is. Do you want to enjoy going to work? Uh, and then the last for me is, and I want to combine that leadership and that technical. And so for me, it was a CISO, you know, building up, you know, I manage budgets, I, I manage people, I manage vendors, uh, but ultimately I'm focused on protecting the organization I belong to. And that's where my passion is. So what is the difference? Now, how long have you um, been at Acme? So I've been here about three years now. Okay. And what is the difference between an advisory CISO and just a normal CISO? Are you on, is that just like a contract or? So um, in the last few years, uh, the position I'm in is, is, you know, I'm not protecting our company. I'm protect, I'm helping make sure the customers are protecting themselves. Um, and then you've seen a, a, a move lately. So generally when you hear advisory CISO, it's somebody that, if you don't have a full-time position, there are advisory CFOs, CIOs, CISOs. I even saw some for CEOs where somebody has an idea for a company but doesn't know how to build a company. And so in my role, you know, as an advisory CISO, I'll, I'll get with a customer and talk about their strategy and, and you know, say, uh, how are you integrating your strategy of protecting your customers and your employees across, you know, legacy data center and, you know, cloud environments. And so it's, it's, I get to come up with the ideas, but then I don't have to execute them, which I, I think some days is great. So Jonathan asked a question and again, uh, Jonathan, Kim, and I, I really feel like you guys probably sat on a virtual panel together. We had so many of them during COVID, but, um, like I said, he's the CISO at the University of Tulsa, who has built out a sock uh, center with some of the students there. So um, he, he's done a great job because we are going to talk about that later. But he said, do you see a merging of the traditional technical CISO and the more management-based CISO? So I'll talk about CISOs in two ways. First of all, um, uh, as I talk to my peers, I kind of have three buckets for CISOs. Uh, I have I have CISOs that are are designed to kind of maintain a program. They're in there and they're great at keeping things running. Uh, I know some CISOs that that really excel at post incidents. So they'll go in after an incident and and they'll rebuild or or they'll go in and and kind of figure out what happened and and help them get to a mature position. And some of those will leave pretty quick, like you know a year or two afterwards. They're like, okay, I built this. And they'll move on. And then there are others that just like to build programs. And that's probably where I am is, you know, after three to five years, I'm like, mm, I've kind of built this here. It seems to be functioning. People processing technologies are integrated. What should I go build next? Um, and then stepping back, as you talk about 
CISOs interacting with the board, for the longest time, very technical CISOs were, were technical advisors to the board. And the board isn't looking to hear about technology. And so we saw more and more boards said, I don't want to talk to the CISO. I want to talk about business. I want to talk about risk. And so, so they would push the, the CEO to go hire a CISO that, that had more of an MBA background. So that CISO, when he went up and talked to the board, talked about business impact and risk and, and wouldn't talk about technology or threats. Um, I'm seeing that shift to the point where more and more CISOs are understanding that when they go talk to the board, they shouldn't be talking about technology. You know, if, if Akamai is one of your capabilities, I don't know that you should talk about Akamai to the board. You should talk about having a, across all your different environments, a, a same risk profile and let the board understand where their risk appetite is. And, and you know, the, the flip side of this is we're also seeing more and more boards get technically savvy. Uh, when the business is de dependent on technology, then the board needs to understand technology. So I'm seeing both sides move towards the middle. And then the last is a new SEC rule where boards have to have some cyber expertise on it. So you're seeing, you know, boards with, with technical expertise and move towards boards with cyber expertise and, and just a synergy there. Another question that Jonathan had, which, um, I always wonder about, I, I kind of think I know the answer because I work with a lot of CISOs, but like to hear your input. What are the differences of any between a VCSO and uh, advisory uh, CISO? Um, if, so the way I'm hearing the question is, I think, you know, an advisory CISO is, is the way I'm acting as advisory CISO is more a consultant where a VCSO um, is somebody you've hired to be your acting CISO until you have enough budget or enough justification to hire a full-time person for that. Uh, and so I know I've got a couple friends that uh, they may, you know, work for a startup and, and dedicate eight hours a week to the startup. And so, you know, they're kind of the, the acting CISO for that startup or virtual CISO for that versus an advisory uh, CISO. And and all these titles get mixed up. Yeah, and it seems like, because I see a lot of CISOs that sit on our panels and stuff, and they are usually with that one company. So I would imagine quite often they just end up becoming their CISO. Maybe they're just not hired on full-time. I think um, in this day and age, I don't think many companies can afford to not have some sort of CISO. Would you agree? Well, and it goes back to, you know, uh, there's a tipping point, you know. So as, as a startup, if you have three people, then everybody does everything. You know, at, at some point you get to enough people that you want to bring in someone who's more financial expert, marketing expert, security expert. And and some of those may be part-time or, or not full-time, but dedicated. And so they're virtual. And then when you get enough revenue, there's enough risk then you get a full-time CFO, a full-time marketing person, and a full-time CISO. So it's all risk-based on when you bring them on and, and how much you invest in that, in my mind. So we've been seeing a lot 
over the last couple of years of, you know, a lot of people I know that have stepped down from the CISO role and they've taken a different role. Maybe the pressure is just too much. But um, and then you see a lot of CISOs, you know, they say what the typical job, you know, the typical time frame for a CISO at a company, what is two years, maybe? What's your thought on that? So again, that kind of goes back in my mind to the the people that like to build like me. Probably we're moving every, you know, three to five years. Someone who likes to do post-incident stuff, they're probably moving every two to three years. I know a number of, of CISOs that have been in a company over six years. Um, so I, I think the, the difference between 10 years is probably around preference of, of work styles or, or career management. Uh, but the different one I'm hearing is more and more people are getting worn down. Um, you know, being a, a CISO means every day going back into the fight, uh, every day fighting to protect your network. There is, you know, there's never really a day where you're completely off. If you're going to go take vacation or if you're going to drink some alcohol and don't want to make a decision, then you have to have somebody designated to be able to take over that crisis timeline. And so that that is kind of a lot. It's a lot of pressure. Uh, we're also seeing this down at the SOC level. You know, people are saying, you know, cybersecurity is, is too intense. There's too much pressure here. Go into a different field. Um, so our, we need to, and again, Jonathan, we're, and I were on a panel. I remember him talking about building that pipeline. I love him for building that pipeline for us. Um, and, and it's, it's hard. And cause some of this comes back to self-management, uh, or you have to manage your, your ability to sustain this, you know, your, your work-life balance. Yeah, we talk a lot about that. That that's kind of been a new topic that um, has came up on the panel is how do you manage your work life balance? I mean, I'm not a CISO, but I'm a CEO of a company. Even when I was out at Disney all week, you know, I'm still you know half of the day working and on my phone, you know, most of the day trying not to be, but it's hard. So I'm sure the CISO is exactly the same. Um, although my, I'm I'm curious. A friend of mine, I don't know if you know the CISO of the city of uh, San Diego. He was out in Maui for a couple of weeks and he's going to be our keynote in San Diego. I'm going to ask him how that was. Hopefully he was able to put his phone down. <laughs> so, um, so I love it. I love to see when CISOs are on vacation, you know, but of course I'm sure you have to have a strong backup team to be able to do that. Yeah. My personal definition of a, of a day off is less than two hours of work. Um, you know, that qualifies as, as a down day for me. Um, but it also comes back to, you know, looking for indicators of compromise. Are you not exercising? Are you not sleeping? Uh, if you're a spiritual person, is, is that not strong? Um, you know, so for me, uh, I have to exercise first thing in the morning. I have to stretch in the first thing in the morning. If that's not happening, that's going to be, if work is not letting that happening, that's going to affect me long term. Uh, I philosophically uh, love the stoic thought process. If you've never read any Marcus Aurelius or, or some of that stuff, uh, you know, that it all goes back to paying attention to yourself and also paying attention to your family and your loved ones or your friends. Um, you know, 
sacrificing everything just to make sure your company's protected, most people are going to burn out eventually and just fall over. I agree. And I have to agree with you on the working out because that for, well, I'm military, you are military, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm military too. And that's just been instowed in me since the military. I mean, my team knows, um, you know, from eight to nine, you know, every morning, that's just for 20 something years, you know, with, even with my old company, I'm at the gym, you know, it's, if I don't have that gym time in, um, your my mental health is not going to be there, you know? So mine's, yeah, mine's a little worse. Uh, since I did the airborne ranger thing, I wake up at 5 a.m. every day. Well, I used to do that a long time ago when I had little kids. I cannot do the 5 a.m. thing anymore. I did that for the longest time. I would do this boot camp at 5 a.m. Uh, but now I'm not sleeping. I'm not going to sleep till 2 a.m. because I'm working. So oh, I, have to have, wow. yeah. I have to have some sleep. So I pushed it off to 8. So, but um, so going, one of the things we were talking about, and we do see a lot of changes of CISOs going from one company to the next. I do because I'm always seeking CISOs to fill so many events. So, you know, it's, it's always exciting to me when I see a CISO go to another company because I try not to repeat, you know, the, the representation of companies that CISOs are at. So when I know a CISO and he started a new position at another company, I'm like, awesome. Now I can have you back at my event again. So what, um, what do you, when a new CISO starts a role and say you're just walking into something, maybe they've just had a breach and hopefully the old CISO wasn't fired because of that, but maybe they lost some of their security team. What are they facing, especially in those first 90 days? So I think, you know, post-breach is a little bit more dramatic. And, and I think then you're, you're kind of hijacked. But typically what I like to think about is um, obviously the, the triad of people, processes, and technology. And so in that first 90 days, I'm trying to understand what skill levels do I have? How strong is my pen test team? How strong is, are my SOC analysts? You know, what's the skill level and maturity across my team? And, and I'm going to see gaps and, and I'm going to see strengths. And, and I just kind of want to map out that. The next, I want to understand my processes. Are we kind of, you know, more of a startup where there are no processes and everybody's just running around and, and this one hero over here just kept, you know, is keeping the whole network running, which I'm not a fan of heroes because when the heroes leave, everything crashes. Uh, and then that last is around, you know, that technology. What are our gaps? Uh, so typically I would look out and I would say right now, you know, oh, we don't have any internal segmentation. So there's a there's a huge risk. And then I'm going to take that risk up and have the board sign off on the risk of if ransomware got in, it could spread everywhere very easily. Or, you know, if, if somebody got into sealed data, we're not going to see an internal movement. And the last thing I like to think about is that technical debt. My classic example is I bought data loss prevention DLP. I put it out there to stop uh, loss of credit cards and social security numbers. And I'm using maybe 10% of the capabilities. And oh, by the way, since I, I met that audit requirement, I haven't updated it to the latest version. And so I want to understand that technical debt. Uh, if you're in a highly compliant environment, you need to talk to the auditors where are the old findings for PCI or FFIC or NERC SIP or whatever it is? And then in that first 90 days, like at 30 days, you want to make some kind of an impact. 
you want to start small success stories. And I, I generally try not to, in the first 60 days, make any dramatic changes. And then by 90 days, you have to establish, this is my culture. This is my vision. This is where I think we're going. Um, and, and so, I mean, that's just, talking to my peers, we all have a variation of this. Uh, you know, one of my great friends, um, he talks about, you know, one of the first things he does is he looks for stakeholders. And he wants to find the super nodes, as he calls it. And so where do you go that, that if you talk to this person, they're going to help you get something done? Or they're an influencer. Uh, so, you know, he tends where I tend to focus on, on my org. His first step is to focus on the bigger org. What are his peers doing? The CIO, the CFO, building those relationships, uh, making sure he understands and is in sync with the CEO. Um, so slightly different initial focus. Neither one is right or wrong. You have to do both. Uh, it's just what what is first and what is second. Are you, when a CISO goes in and they start, what's the relationship? Obviously, you know, they're probably brought in straight with the board, but what about if it's a public company, but what about all... What, what's their obligation with the re, with the whole company, the non-security team of the company? So I, I believe the mission of the CISO or the security leader, whatever they're called, um, is to ensure that senior leadership understands the risk, the cyber-related risk. Um, it's not our job to stop risk or stop threats. It's our job to say, hey, you know, you have, again, micro-segmentation internally. You, you, we haven't segmented the internal network. Um, and if I love John Kindervan's uh, initial uh, talk on, you know, the candy bar effect when he talked about zero trust is, you know, candy bars, crunchy external, soft, gooey internal, great. Networks, the opposite. You don't want a crunchy exterior, soft, gooey internal. You want it uniformly protected. And so... It's not my job then to go get micro-segmentation. It's my job to explain the risk to the leadership. And if they're comfortable with that risk because they don't, they'd rather take their $10 and invest in marketing or a new product and accept that risk, then that's what they get paid to do. I get paid to make sure they understand how dramatic that risk could be if they accept it. Uh, and so in that light, going back to your actual question is, um, you know, some CISOs report to the CIO, others report to the CTO in smaller companies. Uh, a lot now are reporting directly to the CEO. I know a couple that are still reporting into the legal general counsel or risk manager, uh, chief risk officer. Uh, and then now that you have chief data officer, chief privacy officer, all these relationships are getting a lot more complex my mind, um, being I've been in the industry doing this for a long time, you know, I don't, I don't know, 15 years ago, I don't think there was a CISO, you know, you were talking to the CTO or the CIO. So what is the difference? How involved is the CIO and the CTO with the um, cyber posture of the security posture of the company? So, I mean, again, if the CIO's mission is to make sure that 
the network is able to support the business model. So if you're an online seller, then the CEO's main mission is to make sure your online presence is there. If you're a bank, you need to make sure people have have continuous access to their wealth um, through a mobile app, through a third-party mobile app. So now they have to have an API. So you know, I went down and downloaded a third-party app, and I put my bank password in it. And now the bank's interacting with the fina- uh, financial uh, startup, a fintech. Uh, and so all of these things that you know, the CIO has to make sure that the mobile app works. The third-party fintech uh, that that I, as a customer, want to use to get access to my money works. That we're fully compliant. Um, and then my job is to partner with that CIO to make sure that as as they're making sure everything works, that they have the infrastructure they need, that the employees have the resources they need to get their job done. Um, you know, their HR system has a, the HR system. And that's so much of that just to make it happen. And then I'm I'm there to say, listen, that app that we've got going, we need to put this security around to protect the trust of the customer. This third party that's coming in, we need to validate them through this, you know, security posture, this technique. Um, so it's it's just collaborative in they're making stuff work. I'm making sure stuff works securely. So it still lays and and some of our listeners on and security for all they are they do tune in to hear more about cyber and you know just trying to understand you know the industry that we're in. So what is the difference between a CTO and a CIO? And are you guys are you working on a you know daily basis with them, or do they have their own teams and you have your own teams? And what what kind of titles falls under the CTO and the CIO? So when we talk about titles, um, you know, I I wish the world was about ones and zeros, but it's really about people. Uh, you know, life would be simple if I just had to deal with technology. But the reality is, um, culture eats strategy for breakfast every day. And so, what is the culture, and who's driving the culture, and who's the major influencer? So, if I'm in a company and the CTO may be more important than the CIO. The CIO may be responsible for maintaining things. The CTO is responsible for the vision. Where are we going with our our online business, with our cybersecurity capability, with whatever it is we're selling as a service or a product? And so if if we're very forward-looking, then the CTO is very powerful. Um, If we're, we're very conservative, the chief privacy officer may be very powerful. Um, you know, the chief risk officer may have more influence. Some of this is just based on personality. And then, you know, as you look at the different industries, obviously banking uh, puts more money into security, into privacy. Um, and there the CISO is probably a little bit more powerful than, you know, pick another industry like hospitality. Um, you know, hospitality takes cybersecurity incredibly serious. A lot of our great customers are hospitality, but they probably don't invest the same amount of money as most banks. And so I don't have as much money to work with. 
Uh, and so now I have to influence people. I have to convince, and those super nodes, is the CTO a super node? Is the CFO more powerful about where the business is going? Um, so ultimately, it's about the business model and, and relationships. Well, that kind of I took us off a little bit of our beaten path, but it's just kind of curious of those different roles. And I think, as you said, it applies for, you know, it, different industries, different, you know, like you said, banking, hospitality, hospitals. I mean, they all and also how large the company is, how small the company is, a smaller company. It's probably not going to have all three of those. You know, it's probably one person doing all three of those roles. So. Um, John, yeah, a couple shout outs, Irvin Valquez. He said, thanks for the show. Kim and Steve, thanks for supporting us and being here today. Jonathan had a question. Do you see a change in technical security controls moving to tools within the infrastructure teams and security becoming more advisory and auditing? So I think there are some environments uh, that are moving more and more to SaaS. Uh, and if you're outsourcing capabilities, then my role in security becomes more governance. Um, you know, vendor management governance. I want to make sure that uh, for my third party that the contract has audit rights. It has notification rights. It has security controls like, you know, say, for instance, uh, they have to do background checks on their employees. Um, and so those kind of things are are all about making sure my vendor management has the right cybersecurity controls in the language of the contract to manage that. Um, you're seeing other companies that are moving more into, uh, especially those that start up right now. Maybe you, if you're a new company, you might start off cloud native. And every you're just trying to use everything within the cloud. And so cloud tends to be a matrix relationship of management. Um, and so they may provide you uh, the equivalent of a firewall, and then you have to do the following 23 things, and, and some of them will provide you, you know, we'll do these 20 things, you do these 23 things, and you'll be PCI compliant. So that's that matrix relationship. And, and ultimately, I'm seeing more and more of us be in this hybrid mode. You know, I have some legacy stuff that's going to stay owned for me for a while next three to five years. Uh, I have other things that are, are in a cloud and more of a relationship base. And then finally, I have these tools over here where it is, I've either outsourced it, but some third party has my data and is, is taking care of functions for me. And so now any given day, I'm, I'm you know, a vendor manager uh, asking for audit results, having debates with them about their 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 get well plan for the audit reports that I have access to. Uh, and then I turn around and, and deal with the cloud provider and, and my DevOps team and say, Hey, I need you to in your continuous pipeline. I need you to add these API hooks for security tools. Um, I don't know if that was a helpful answer, but that's kind of where I'm seeing it going. The other trend I'm seeing is more and more people are, are debating how much effort do I put into the the moat, the walls around it, the hardening the edge, and how much do I try to minimize dwell time, that internal security, internal monitoring? Because you almost have to accept, if I'm compromised, I want to know within days, not weeks or months. 
And so I want to shift some of my budget to rapidly detecting versus continuously preventing. So when um, one of the things we probably have about 10, 12 minutes left on the show. So let's talk about um, one of your roles, one of the CISO roles of building and managing the SOC team. So when you come into a new company, you know, how, how do you, if you walk into a new company and you think, oh, geez, they really need some help, you know, what is going to be your priorities and how do you even start to manage that? So again, um, you have the Fortune 500 company. When I walk into them, um, they probably have a security operations center. They have a dedicated SIM, security event incident manager. Um, They have a tier two on the SOC. So they have tier one analysts in tier two. They'll have another group over here, which is a threat team. They'll have a penetration testing team or a red team. Some of them may even have a group called Threat Hunters. Uh, I have an opinion about that, but that's a whole nother show. Um, and so I, I try to go in and I say, okay, how well are these integrated? And uh, ideally, the Threat Intel would say, hey, we're worried about APT39. Pen test team, I want you to use their attack methodology. And then I'm going to go look at the SOC and say, how much of that methodology do we uh, detect? when they got in, and that's red team, blue team testing with a white cell to to manage that governance. The flip side is you're a very small company and there's one guy that's kind of looking for incidents. And this is, you know, now I have to make a decision. Do I want to keep this in-house? Do I want to do a managed service provider? Um, You know, and, and sometimes that's a better solution. Sometimes outsourcing that. Maybe Maybe I don't want to spend all my time looking for talent. I want to spend my time managing a vendor who's going to take care of those things for me. Um, and so some of this is a philosophical approach of, and, and ultimately resources of what kind of an environment do I want to build? Uh, but the last thing I'll say here is if you're building a SOC, you've got to do exercises. Uh, Akamai does denial of service protection. And, and if we have a customer that hasn't done a, a process review, an exercise review in a year, that makes us nervous because we're are the point of contact still there. Is a process, do people know the process? So drill your processes, do your exercises, and that's across everything. But those breach exercises, that's where you're going to figure out what the level of maturity is of the SOC, and you're going to get everybody ready for the real bad game day. But they need to be ready for that worst day. Yeah, we had, um, and I'm going to go blank on his name. He's actually our keynote speaker when you're sitting on our virtual panel. And he um, is a, uh, he's a ethical hack- hacker and his topic is how to rob a bank. And Heather's, uh, I thought she was going to tell me his name, but um, he was my guest last time I did the show. And it was really interesting to um, hear how he actually w- was able to, uh, get in a bank vault. So he's going to, he's going to talk about that in a, in December, that panel. So you'll definitely want to hear that because I'm so intrigued by the threat hunters and the, you know. I, yeah. My favorite role is the social engineering hacking. Uh, if I'm on a penetration testing team, I love to do the social engineering stuff. Uh, I, I just enjoy hacking humans. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what he does. So 
But when you go in and you say you start, you're going to start doing some drills, are there some basic drills just to kind of test, you know, how strong so, your security team is? Uh, the first drill I do is um, loss of access. So if we get hit by a denial of service and our customers lose access, how, what's the drill there? How do we respond to get our customers' access rapidly? The next access drill is ransomware. If we lost internal, you know, what is the process? How do we notify leadership? Who is authorized to make what decisions? There's a, a, a RACI, Responsibility Account uh, Advisory. Uh, and, and so this RACI is, is a great matrix to have to say, who's responsible for what? Who's informed? Who's consulted? So you know who has to do which roles. And you know who to contact. So I'm going to talk to the CIO. The CIO is going to talk to the board. Uh, I'm going to talk to the chief risk officer. The chief risk officer is going to talk to the CEO. The CEO is going to talk to the board. You need to know wh what's the right one for your company. And so um, the first is loss of access, those two examples. The next is loss of data. Somebody got in and compromised our data. Now, ransomware can be both nowadays. They kind of have a double payday. Um, but if you lost data, and, and now it's not as public, and, and you have, you know, how do you declare an incident? What's the criteria? Who's authorized to declare a breach? Is it the CIO? Is it the general counsel? Is it the CEO? Once you declare it, how do you notify in 72 hours who's responsible for notifying the, the you know, uh, public and, and everything. And, uh, and then the last area I think is important is third party. Somebody that we have a contract with that has our information, they lost our data. And now suddenly the vendor manager may be much more important in this drill. And, and you know, how far before they tell the public do they tell us? And, and so those are the three, loss of access, third party loss of data, and loss of data. Those would be the basic exercises I would start off with on day one, making sure you have all three of those. So this is kind of a funny analogy, but when we're talking about drills, my trainer happens to be a local high school football coach. And when they lose a game, you know, the next day the team is in trouble. You know, they're, they're doing a couple hours of burpees and running and, you know, so, so that's, that's a, that's their consequence for losing. So what happens when you're running a drill and the the SOC team is going to fail or whatever part of that team fails? What is your, where, what do you do now? Yeah, I played on football and, and rugby and, and uh, we don't do that. To <laughs> That's good. <laughs> and so um, a lot of this is, just about going back and saying, you know, why? Uh, I want to understand why we failed. It was a failure of technology. So our, our sensors weren't configured right, or we don't have the right sensors. We have a gap that allowed the red team to get in. Was it a, a failure in how we're architected? You know, the, the alerts were on the endpoints, but didn't get fed into the, the security of the SIM so the SOC could see them. Or was it a breakdown in the SOC? They don't have the right skills or, or when they looked at the incident and they realized it was a breach, they didn't know the process of who they were supposed to notify. So, you know, and, and it's really about 
taking those lessons learned and, and making sure in a positive way that people are held accountable, but at the same time that it's not going to happen again. Um, and then, you know, obviously we all have those people. Some, I can't promote them fast enough because they're amazing. Others that, you know, you turn the light on, but they don't seem to see the light. So, you know, that that's a different story. So what sort of reward? So, so is there, because it's a tough industry. So how do you keep your teams motivated? And if you've got that great person that is, you know, the one you just talked about that you can't promote fast enough, but maybe you don't, you don't have the means to promote them. So how are you keeping them motivated and positive? Um, I ultimately think that people want to stay working for somebody who cares about them. And uh, this goes back to, you know, we talk about the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. I prefer to think in the platinum rule, treat others the way they want it to be treated. So if I go into somebody's area and they have certificates up and awards up, then I know that if they did something great, I need to give them a public award. I go into somebody else's and, and I know, you know, they want to talk about having beat the red team or the red team wants to talk about, you know, getting inside the network. Then, you know, it, it's more about that camaraderie and that team interaction where there's some healthy competition and, and, and there are different people talking trash, just like you would back in the football days, uh, but in a healthy way. Uh, and ultimately, I think for me, uh, I believe in training and giving opportunities. So if I have somebody who's doing great, I want to invest in them. I want to send them to training, uh, vendor training, certification training. Uh, I want to continue to let them know I'm invested in their career and they have a future here. And I guess, you know, when you're out at those big events, you know, like Black Hats and RSA and Gartner, I mean, I, I would think hopefully those are always fun. I think for the IT teams to go out there is that, you know, things like that, I guess would be another. I would include that in training. Yeah. Giving them access to, to go to conferences, um, you know, and, and also, you know, part of it is helping them understand the skills they need to do. I had one analyst in threat intelligence and I, I, I had to talk him into going to Toastmasters because he wasn't, he did great analytical work. He was amazing, but he didn't want to present it. He would do this great analytical work and give it to his manager or me and say, you go present this. And I'm like, people need to know that you're awesome. And so he finally agreed. He went to Toastmasters and became amazing at presenting his information. And, and that was the difference for him. So yeah, it's figuring out what they need, but I agree conferences, um, all sorts of things and team building events. It's bringing in pizza on Friday. Now with so many remote workers, I'm not sure how to do that. And, and culture and rewards in a remote environment is, is much more complex. Uh, if somebody's nailed that down, please have them on your, your talk on this so I can hear about it. I agree. That's why they need to come to the future con conferences because we have a good time. We wrap up with always a happy hour and people love it. And it's really awesome to see that these CISOs are allowing their security teams to come out to our events. You know, it does save them money because they don't have to send them, they don't have to fly them anywhere because our events are local. But we're down to two minutes. But one really quick thing I want to say is, you know, there are a lot of the introverted people like 
the guy you were the guy or girl you were talking about that you sent to Toastmasters that don't want to come back out to events because they like to be by themselves, but they need to come out so they can be around their peers and they can learn and come out of their shell and, you know, meet other people for future opportunities. I can't emphasize how much you need to build a network. Security is a team sport. Have a community. Join OWASP. Join ASACA. Join ISSA. Join your local 2600 club. Build a community. Participate. It's just vital. Well, I'm really excited. Next week, um, I had Steve on the show today because, um, A, you know, I, I he, he's a great guy. He's sat on our panels lots, but I asked him to host the show for me next week because I'm going to be out of town in Nashville. So, um he, we're actually having Sean Flynn, who's the Director of Security Technology and Strategy from ACME, and they're going to be talking about zero days should not be a fire drill, which goes right into everything we were just talking about. So super excited to have you um, host the show next week. So um, Steve, thanks for being here today. Again, uh, Steve Winterfield, he is Advisory CISO for ACME Technology Tune in again next week, everyone, so you can catch Steve and Sean Flynn and that topic, Zero Days Should Not Be a Fire Drill. Um, everyone, enjoy the weekend. Hope it's beautiful where you are and be safe, stay secure, and we will see you next week. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you for tuning into And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events. Are you a cybersecurity professional that needs to earn continuing educational hours? FutureCon Events brings high-level cybersecurity training discovering cutting-edge security approaches, managing risk in the ever-changing threat of the cybersecurity workforce. Cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem. To learn more about attending a virtual event, go to futureconevents.com or email info at futureconevents.com or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at futureconhq. Don't miss the weekly FutureCon seamless podcast series focusing on the insights and thoughts of chief security officers and industry pioneers making a difference throughout the world. Kim Hakem, CEO of FutureCon Events, and Darren Anderson, CEO and co-founder Next Robotics, host seamless podcast started by a team of entrepreneurs with experience in fields like smart cities, technology, cybersecurity. The result is a series of podcasts unlike anything you've ever heard anywhere. Listen where you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher.